hey everyone um, let me know if you can hear me if the audio is working well the streams laggy or weird or anything you know all the good stuff everything's working let's get a typo out hmm. nice um, one time says audio is good stream is good life is good well I'm glad that we can count on all those things together um, I will keep monitoring of course all the, the super chat stuff i just didn't put um put a little overlay on this one this time we're testing out the the live stream ghetto style to begin with so you know bear with that um part of it is just i didn't want to get too comfortable with a nice solo stream setup right now because um right now because um yeah because in not next week but the one after that i'm going to try to go back to like full-on you know rundown as it were um but i want to like have an overhauled version so rather than trying to make this one you know get all the little overlays and little things and bells and whistles i'll figure it out for a thing that i'm going to use for like one time or so one time um rather than that i'm just going to put all my effort into making something a little bit better nicer etc um for future shows and yeah like incorporate all like the nft stuff and everything and so so yeah that's gonna be it's gonna be quite exciting um fun stuff um i'm gonna just keep on filling this thing with dead air for a little while until um until oh michael Viloff, also known as the agnew pickens says yo hi agnew how's it going um, it's going to close this one. Ooh, there's a playback problem. Is Odyssey still working for you guys? I just got a little error on my end, just like looking at it. Hmm. I could pop this chat out too. Okay. Awesome. Um, just make sure I'm keeping with both both chats uh, but yeah it's been a been a hell of a week really um it seems that with these crypto bear market type cycles uh oftentimes it seems like things get like really quiet like that's like the biggest difference between like the bull and the bear type stuff is that the um the cycles tend to get you know like every it's almost as if as soon as the price starts going down people stop you know doing things which is absolutely not true just that uh, one thing for sure though i am a little bit um i am kind of looking forward to uh with the cycles they go up and down and during the up it's all breaking new thing build breaking price higher breaking this invests in that breaking that invests in this blah 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 it's like all this up stuff and then when the price starts going down it just like bankruptcy hack theft bankruptcy regular <laughs> like all the you know the 
the other side of the hopium starts to, you know, impact, right? Um, yeah, so it's kind of funny because every story has two sides. Nothing's perfect. Uh, and when you start to see, for example, um, you start to see projects fail, you know, and it's, it's just, it's the reality of all the success that we saw before, right? It's like, well, it wasn't, there was a dark side of things and we just didn't get to experience that yet. And so I kind of, it's kind of good to have like both as context. So um, that's one thing I noticed. Most projects, there are some bear market builders who just keep on doing new and cool things, but mostly the bear markets are a great time to just see stuff fall apart a little bit, <laughs> you know? And so I guess that's kind of where we're at. There's a lot of stuff like that. Um, let me see. How long have we been going? Five minutes. Um, I'll give it another minute, maybe, and then we'll we'll jump right into the stuff. A uh, quick reminder: you can always go to cointr.e/slash/the-desert-links and send a little donation with a message, and then that will get read out. I mean, you can jump on the live chats too and just like say stuff, but you know, there's no guarantee I'll like you enough to say anything. Unless you're one time. I like one time. Um, yeah, so it is what it is. All right. Last little check of the live chats before we get going. Um, Agni says the volume's a little low. So I'm going to go quickly. Fix that a little bit, and then we can get right into the good stuff. All right. So that should be a little bit better. Ooh, ooh, a little loud. All right, um, let's start with number one, okay? I'm sure you've kind of seen this one. Uh, Nomad announces $19 million bounty for lost funds from the recent hack. Nomad announced it's going to offer up to a 10% bounty to return funds stolen from a recent hack on the Nomad Bridge on August 2nd. So yeah, August 2nd, um, this Ethereum Bridge, Nomad, suffered a giant hack and lost, you know, around $200 million as <laughs> it just, I think it's like one of the biggest hacks in, you know, DeFi history as it were. And, um, the funny thing about it is from my, um, if my memory serves correctly, uh, not too long before that nomad had done a, uh, they were tweeting something about like, Oh, security is so paramount in crypto. We take it and our audits super serious and all this kind of stuff. And so then like, it was just like two days later or something like that. It was like July 29th or something like that. I think they did it. So maybe four days later. And then, then all of a sudden they were like the largest breach in history, basically. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, Oh no. Um, but yeah, just another reminder of how early we are and to be careful where you keep all your, for money because stuff like this kind of tends to happen. Um, and it is kind of crazy that like, you know, offering nine, a $19 million bounty, it's like, it's worth it for them because <laughs> that means that they're able, what they're getting back or what they lost, like losing 20 million bucks is like not, that's a, it's a favorable outcome for them, right? They, that's like, that's them getting off easy because they're about to lose 200 million or already have, but you know, whatever it is, what it is. And so yikes, like 
I really think that this is going to be the um, adoption, the early majority adoption cycle kind of uh, narrative we're going to see. Because at first it's like, well, there's Bitcoin. What's it going to do? And then people do very slight variations on Bitcoin. Then they start building entirely new things that, you know, structure completely different, make it proof of stake, do like spark contracts, do all kinds of different things and, you know, test and see what kind of works. And now we've got to the stage where there's a lot of really cool stuff you can do with crypto and it works. And but you just don't have the time and the users to make sure you know that this is actually going to work correctly long term. And so when we start to have a serious amount of users, you know, not like a couple of crypto fans and speculators, when you have like serious amounts of users, then we're going to start to see everything break. And I think um, maybe this is a little bit of a pivot, but yeah, whatever, you know, I ramble about anything. Uh, obviously, um, if you pay attention to on-chain scaling coins, a lot of them have hit, I wouldn't say hit a limit, but a lot of them have hit troubles over a certain amount, of, a certain number of things, like congestion issues. And even BSV, which is like, all they care about is running their one Terra node, whatever the hell thing, and just processing all transactions through that and giga blocks and all this kind of stuff. Even they've gone through quite a few serious problems on the road to, to figuring that kind of stuff out. And so... Um, the other thing is even one of the more careful, carefully done, uh, more respectably done uh, projects, Zcash, as far as I know, I haven't been closely following the situation, but they experienced some sort of a um, scaling issue based on their private transactions, where basically uh, when using shielded transactions, there's something like the the number of potential outputs for a single transaction was not capped. So someone was spamming the network where a single transaction had a million different outputs. And because of the way their light client, i.e. like mobile wallet type thing works, they were having some problems dealing with that. And so as far as I know, I hate to say, I hate to be too specific because I can't really remember exactly where we're at. But as far as I know, you can't really send and receive um, private Zcash transactions on mobile devices right now, or it's difficult. It's hard to get through. It's just it's a big usability problem, and they're still not quite figure out how they're going to deal with that. So there's a few different things. But point being, like as of like a couple months ago, it's like oh well, Zcash managed to have cheap, fast, and efficient, extremely private transactions on mobile devices without trusting a node like something like Monero would do. And it's like, oh, it's working. But then as soon as you get a little, you get that one exploit from like a certain level of usage, a certain type of usage that you didn't maybe count on. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're just dealing with some, some bad stuff. <laughs> and so um, I think that we're going to find a lot of robust blockchain projects are going to start to shake and break in the next in the coming four or so years, um, whether it's, you know, Lightning Network being tested where all of a sudden you can't handle the scale of and size of transactions without deploying significant amounts of capital and raising fees to the roof or something like that, right? 
or whether it's, you know, just any old blockchain that just can't properly scale or whether it's every single project is going to get attacked in some way, like a 51% attack. Like how the hell is any Bitcoin fork? Like not, we're not talking about something like, you know, like Zcash or something. We're talking about something like Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SV with the same hashing algorithm. How isn't it under constant attack right now? Or how has it never been attacked? I mean, how has modern day Bitcoin never been attacked or attempted to be attacked? I think we're going to start seeing some stuff like that. It's going to get, it's going to get gnarly. And I guess the, um, the good part of that is that we're going to find out what works. We kind of know a lot of things that works, but there's a lot we don't know. But more importantly, people just throw money like, oh, Solana, I don't care if it goes down a million times. Foreshadowing, by the way. I don't care if it goes down a million times. I'm just going to keep on, uh, you know, throwing money into it because it's exciting and they're building a store in New York City and all this kind of stuff. But then it just break, 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 hack, 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 break, 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 hack, hack, hack. And eventually, if you're relying on customers for your revenue, that's not going to work. When you're relying on investors and speculators for your revenue, you know, you have a little bit more of a more leeway there. So that's kind of the way it is. All right, let's uh, let's move on to the next one here. So, um. Slope wallets blamed for Solana-based wallet attack. Web3 wallet provider Slope has been connected to the recent hack of Solana-based wallets. And um, experts find private keys on Slope servers still puzzled over access. So blockchain auditing firms are still trying to figure out how hackers gained access to about 8,000 private keys used to drain Solana-based wallets. Investigations are still ongoing, blah, blah, blah. They managed to steal around 5 million worth of Solana and SPL tokens on the 3rd of August. Wow, two big hacks right next to each other. Isn't that great? Um, yeah, so the working theory is that an attacker somehow exfiltrated these logs and were able to use this to compromise their users. There's still an ongoing investigation, blah, 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 blah. They don't really know how, but um, there's basically rumors or they're basically suspicions of private keys for these wallets as in you know for everyone watching this should know what a private key is but if you don't just literally the access to move and move funds um they got basically broadcast from like the client like the local device to the servers they got communicating in between them in like a plain text format that was like a rumor but however is they basically got leaked in logs and then someone just found the logs and then managed to just steal a whole bunch of money. And um, I want to, it's just the latest in the series of like Solana things. And I got to say, before some crazy fanboy bites my head off for saying this, uh, no, the Solana network was not hacked this time. It's a wallet that supports Solana that got hacked. And, you know, that's very different from like saying, oh, Bitcoin got hacked because some hardware wallet company, this and that, and all that other thing. It's like, yeah, I get it. It's not the same. Um, now, however, um, I would I want to give a shout out to Justin Bonds and his <laughs> Twitter threads. Uh, he does a he's a big ETH guy. He does a lot of Twitter threads. One of these ones recently was on Solana, or many of them have been on Solana, and um, I don't pay as close attention as he does, but it's clear that his opinion is that. It's not just oh there you know there's structural problems with the project, but he seems to believe that the development team and the culture surrounding the ecosystem is very 
was like dishonest and fraudulent and things like that. And so I guess that that would sort of expand, extend to, you know, a major wallet provider, right? To where um, if there's, if, you know, the, t the, the core development team doesn't really, you know, isn't really in the business of building good faith technology and being honest about their representations about what it can and can't do or what stage they're at or whatever it seems to be just like a a dishonest pump project a little bit regrettably um if all that's true then that extends certainly to other like third party uh, applications and companies even if there's different people behind them necessarily uh it's still just the general culture it attracts a whole lot of people and i i do remember uh back in the day um there was a very strong, I guess, criminal contingent, so to speak, to the Monero community, where it was heavily marketed to criminals and stuff like that. I'm not just saying, you know, conscientious objectors or whatever. I'm saying like, you know, people doing things that society would consider, even if you're a complete, you know, anarchist, you'd still believe to be wrong. So um, there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on, a lot of people in there. Still never going to forget when they tried to put a hit out on me because I wrote some article for Cointelegraph. Which is, but that, that was like the old community. And um, a lot of that, I would say, got kind of attracted by the figurehead, Fluffy Pony, who I don't remember exactly the details of the case today, but I know he was extradited to South Africa in order to, you know, face a, you know, face trial for this for alleged like embezzlement and theft of a whole bunch of money from back in the back in the day. And so I don't know if that's true or not. Um, seems like him to do that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know what the status is right now, but point being when he was the, the single figurehead of Monero, you had a lot of that stuff going on in the post fluffy days, so to speak. Um, I've noticed a lot more kind of regular folks. It used to be just like, I don't, it used to be a very much of a different community. Today, it's just people. Like, you know, I, I run into Monero fans and they, you know, or recent ones, right? Last couple, last few years, I would say. And they just seem to be regular people. They seem to like not be all shitty at me, for lack of a better way of saying it, for like using different projects or having some, you know, even though I use Monero as well, but I'm just saying for having a diversity of opinion and approaches and seem to just be like overall good people, you know, or, you know, much higher percentage of being good people. And so I think that, you know, the whole ethos of Solana is probably not quality first and not build slowly, you know? So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, one of their major wallets managed to have a huge, um, a huge issue with it. And that ended up, you know, losing a whole bunch of money. But that's the thing is, um, one thing I realized is because I've been involved in crypto for a long time, I've been involved in, uh, I've been involved in promoting certain projects or, or, you know, offering certain services of this, that, all that kind of stuff. And, or just being part of a fan of a community and then, so I was like, oh, well, look at those guys. They have so much money. They can do whatever. Look at us. We can't afford Super Bowl ads. We, you know, if only we had their money, blah, blah, blah. And then I first started to like, feel like the, the staggering, a staggering size of a budget with EOS. And when EOS was around, I mean, still is, I guess. But they raised a ton of money 
they paid, I believe, hundreds of millions to the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, in a fine and just didn't care because they just had their ICO made a ton of money and they were just still doing stuff. They paid something like $20 million for a website like the voice.com, which didn't end up going anywhere really. Like they were throwing money around like nothing. And it's just like, well, how can we compete on that level? Well, one thing I've learned is that venture capital in staggering amounts is shockingly easy to burn through. Like you would, a great example of this, of course, is the government, right? They have trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. They just have all the money they need and they still manage to just blow it all away and just not have enough for basic things. So it's kind of a, you know, a cautionary tale. Like if you build fast and make shaky promises in order to power uh, like a revolution or something in order to, to seemingly like power revolution of your stuff. If you do that, it's just, it's easy to lose the money just as quickly as you get it. And so with Solana burning through stuff the way that they are, uh, I mean, I I can't really imagine them having like all that money. Like eventually, the investor attention span dries up, and then everyone speculates on a different thing. And if they're used to dealing with these giant amounts of budgets and just stuff doesn't really work or whatever, and just on and on, then it's going to be especially hard of a crash, I believe. And um. Yeah, so obviously that was just about this uh, the slope wallet, but it was, I believe, just the last time I, I talked to you guys, it was like, no, or two weeks ago, like, so the Solana network was down. The, the network itself was down for, like, whatever reason. And it's like, oh, no, again. It's been down, like, seven or eight times. Um, a big disaster. And, you know, I, ho- I hope that they can get stuff fixed there, but, you know, I'm not super optimistic. All right, here we go. Let's close these. Let's hit on this one. <laughs> Former Coinbase manager at heart of insider trading scandal. Please, please not guilty in federal court. Um, yeah, so there was a um, there was a, a manager in Coinbase who basically got fired by Coinbase for alleged insider trading, and. He then at some point got charged and now he's, you know, in court and stuff for supposedly insider trading. And so insider trading, of course, is when you as an insider, someone with intimate knowledge of the company or whatever, make trading decisions before the rest of the public is, you know, able and willing to do that or whatever. And so it's, you know, criminal offense. Let me just get this out of the way. I don't think insider trading is a crime or should be a crime. I don't think it's necessarily good or it's associated with a lot of shady activity but literally why do you want to trade based on just betting like don't you want to trade on the maximum uh, uh, amount of experience possible of information possible so like if you know that a company is going to you know hire a new firecracker of a CEO who has a great track record of turning things around, making things revenue positive, you might just invest all the way in there. But like the investment is the getting of the information and things like that. And so, yeah, it just, I, I don't think it should be a crime. Of course, if you are deceiving people and so, well, here's, while not a crime, I do think there's some issues. So Coinbase, 
Um, they're like the the giant in the U.S. They are uh, kind of like the standard, so to speak. Heavily regulated. There's the by the book kind of stuff, but they've done a bunch of sketchy things in the past. I don't want to. I don't want to speculate. You do too much speculation as fact, as it were. But there, I remember when Litecoin was on its way to the dustbin of history, and Charlie Lee was a director of engineering at Coinbase, and he made some tweet. Hey, what do you think about having Litecoin on? Blah blah blah. Like he just like tweeted at his own company he worked for it really quickly. Litecoin got added and then just took off into this major hype cycle. And it still hasn't come down off of that. And I have to say it kind of worked. Litecoin got into and on almost every single exchange out there and kind of etched itself into like the permanent stable of like the of top coins because of this. And because of this and like following up hype trains and stuff like that. And so uh, it's obviously a huge conflict of interest. Uh, and a huge ethical breach, right? To have to add the coin that your guy founded when it didn't make any sense. And then there have been a whole bunch of other uh, coins added in the future after that. And I guess the the allegations um, are that a lot of trading was happening by these insiders without the actual, you know, without everyone knowing it was going to be added or not. And that was, it used to be that the Coinbase listing was like the, what do they call it? Like the the kiss of anointing or something like that. Uh, where if you had a a token and you managed to get listed, listed on Coinbase, you'd instantly have like a giant pump. They'd just pump, pump your coin because now it's like you're on like the largest and most successful exchange platform out there and like, you know, and so I'm sure a lot of people have insider traded on this. As soon as they get kind of hints of news or whatever, I'm sure a lot of people have done this. And I don't know if the individual who's being prosecuted did it, but I know tons of people probably have. And then there was a lot of like weird, oh, you know, trading is disabled during some stuff. I remember specifically with Bitcoin Cash, there was something like that, that it was added, but you weren't able to trade it. And then the plate, the price wildly fluctuated during a period of time when people wanted access to buy or sell, and they didn't have it. And so there's a, just a bunch of a bunch of you know sketchy kind of stuff with that. Um, I do think that a good way to avoid insider trading is through proper DeFi, where you basically, if a new asset is added or not. Um, you get to see with an open source code base, you get to see this kind of stuff start to happen. So like, for example, today I was on a spaces, a Twitter spaces thing with ThorChain talking about the Dash community and the integration of Dash into ThorChain, which has been underway for a freaking year, over a year, where between developers, you know, uh, coding up the integration, between going back and forth with stuff and like, but it's been visible for a year that something is moving towards this eventuality. It's not just like there's backroom deals that integrate this and it's all closed source and they just say, oh, okay. And they're like, hey, guess what? We're adding Dash. And then all of a sudden, all the insiders who bought cheap Dash that now pumps just get to dump on it or whatever. Like, no, it's not nearly as easy if, with like proper DeFi. 
And of course, even in decentralized protocols, there's usually people that make decisions on this kind of thing. There's, it's not like there's no risk at all of like things not going well of, of people having backroom deals and buying up ahead of time. But it just, it really minimizes the vector, the <laughs> insider trading attack vector as it were. So yeah, it's, I think we're always going to have that kind of problem as far as people exist, as far as they trade, as far as people have insider trading knowledge, I would decriminalize insider trading and let the market sort out how to get everyone insider knowledge on insider trading, right? So yeah, anyway, that's kind of my take on this. Um, this I'll switch the, the order from what I was going to do. Um, just very briefly, because uh, we're talking about Coinbase. Coinbase partners with BlackRock to create new access point for institutional crypto investing. Uh, so basically, Coinbase is trying to get to the very apexes of traditional finance as far as integrations and stuff. And um, yeah, the whole institutions is coming thing. I remember that was a meme from like the 2017 bull run and stuff and then the subsequent bear market. And then like institutions have come and I don't know, I'm not quite, it It needs to happen, right? People need to get involved. You, you need big players in any game, right? But I kind of worry that like the big, it should be like principled small holder and user first slash forward and then the rest kind of get in. Like I still think that like crypto for the most part has been like what the little guy can invest in and trade. And then it's now just what the big guys want to do. And now it's, you know, it's kind of moving into a less interesting direction that way. But my part of that is not even that. I want to be at the edges where people just use the raw stuff and they're not just like trading so much. They're just using it to live free and, you know, have better lives and avoid censorship and all this kind of good stuff. And then at some point, if the, um, if the infrastructure behind all this gets, um, you get a lot of institutional investment in and all that kind of stuff. Okay, that's great. They kind of come along for the ride. Of course you need that, but I do want it to be like a user forward, a freedom open source forward, you know, technology and industry. And so I kind of hope we kind of stick to that. And um, anyway, finally, uh, this I thought was kind of interesting. Um, Worthless JPEGs. Redditor turns NFT criticism into NFTs. Uh, one Reddit user collected quotes from NFT haters on the internet and famous skeptics like Warren Buffett, Peter Schiff, and Dan Olson. And he turned them into an NFT collection called... Um, yeah. <laughs> Worthless JPEGs. So, like, for example, this one is just... a right-click copy am i a millionaire like they just turn that into ft i think this is kind of funny so it's like yo dog i heard you like worthless jpeg so i'm gonna create a worthless jpeg of you saying a worthless jpeg so you can worthless jpeg while you whatever um the funny thing about that stuff is um yeah the the funny stuff about the the nft stuff is um I am a fan and proponent of NFTs now after I kind of understood what they are, what they're for and the capacity for them is. But like, 
I'm an NFT utilitarian maximalist. I do not give a crap about like shiny, share it, trade it. Or maybe, you know, it's kind of fun, but I don't, it, I'm not ex like, it's not worth pushing a space forward based on just that, right? And so uh, when people say it's just a JPEG or whatever, it's the most like outdated boomer kind of thing you could say. Like it's not, it's not true. It's like, this is, you literally do not understand the whole technology of what it can do. However, I am still critical of worthless JPEG NFTs that just have a little bit of a digital framework around a JPEG. And the JPEG is hosted on OpenSea or wherever else that you can just take offline. Then it's just a broken link of the thing. And it does nothing and represents nothing. And it's just like, a, well, but there's only one of these like containers and you can trade. I don't care. It's just, it's kind of a worthless JPEG with extra steps to borrow a Rick and Morty reference, of course. Um, but it's kind of funny to be like mocking, you know, worthless JPEGs by like making an uh, NFT series out of it. Um, but I would have done something has like actual utility that like you mock people calling them worthless JPEGs by turning their words into something useful and valuable, not just valuable but like useful and valuable, like real value, not just have a, have money behind it. The, the irony, I guess, in all this is taking, is mocking useless JPEGs by making useless JPEGs, kind of. It's just like you're mocking that you're calling them, that they're calling them useless JPEGs, but you're making useless JPEG version of that. So it's kind of like, by mocking your critics, you're kind of validating them in a certain way right although not gonna hate on anyone's hustle sell them if you can sell them you get anyone to buy them and trade them go for it maybe there's gonna be a DAO along the way maybe you take all the you know you issue governance tokens to everyone who has one of these useless jpegs and that all works for some like solving cancer kind of charity or you know who knows we'll see where it goes from there but it's probably just useless jpegs which i'm not in the in the business of um ex i in not too long, right? Um, I'm going to be issuing some NFTs for this channel. Probably not next week, but the one after that, you're going to have, um, yeah, you're going to have the ability to use NFTs to interact with the channel. So it's going to be really cool. Um, that's not a, that's not a useless JPEG though. Um, I might create one useless JPEG, but that's, a. Uh, that's a little bit of a secret though. <laughs> anyway, uh, let me hit up some of these live chat thingies. Um, first, let me check, check Cointree to make sure. One reason, by the way, I have uh, decided to go into the NFT stuff is because the Cointree super chat thing is just too clunky. It's just like, it's not responsive. It takes too long. It's like, you know, it's just anno an annoying way of, interacting with like a live chat. So I'd rather just like have someone be a, a permanent super chat member or have an integrated solution or whatever. So people just like jump in, leave a super chat and then there you go. And yeah, uh, so the NFT is kind of a solution to that. So anyway, um, let me hit up YouTube. seems like uh, Odyssey has much more activity actually, but uh, good old Agni Pickens also mentioned, you know, money laundering. Same thing as art though, right? Because art is valuable for objectively subjective reasons, right? People think it looks nice. That's literally the entire purpose for art. They like it. 
that's it. I mean, that's the purpose for anything in the world, but like some things have a practical use case towards like feeding yourself or travel or whatever, but like any entertainment thing, it's just, I like it. Uh, but people have used art for millennia to launder money, you know, to, oh, I buy this artwork and then, you know, just a way to like hide, to pretend to be like an art collector, but you're actually paying off a politician or turning stolen money into something else and like all that kind of stuff. So that is, that is unfortunately a practical use case is money laundering. And I do, I don't believe in the concept of money laundering from a criminal perspective. I don't think what you do with your money, how you hide where it goes is a crime in any way, shape or form. I think it's an act. I do think though it's an activity. Like if you do something, it is a crime, like stealing is <laughs> always going to be a crime. You steal and then you launder that to keep people off your trail. I mean, it isn't not laundry. It is, of course, laundry, right? You like it is a thing to launder you, to make sure people can't, you know, trace the money. It's just that like that's not a problem. It's the fact that you're hiding your actual crime is a problem. Um, but even in yeah, I, even in a world with with no government or whatever, I do think that money laundering is always going to be a valid use case or invalid use case. Sometimes people just want to, like, people might want to. Um, appear like their company is doing stuff that it isn't so then they go buy up a bunch of things hire a bunch of stuff and so when all their books are transparent people like financially audit them they see them doing all this like busy work oh my gosh they're doing so much stuff um it just like so for example like the chinese companies that used to hire westerners to just sit in an office and pretend to be their employee because like look we're progressive we hire westerners or whatever we're successful like that's a laundering kind of thing i think that'll always be a thing um, and so, uh, uh, Agnew also says that a useless Ethereum token was a nice hustle back in 2017, 2018. Yes. Uh, the ICO boom was like useless token hustle and crypto keys around there too. I guess crypto keys could be classified as an NFT, right? You have a little collectible and you can change them. You can, um, yeah, you can kind of modify them and yeah, uh, so people don't realize NFT has been around for a long time. Um, larger MNOs, larger master nodes, he says, as far as, you know, Dash, I'm sure. We'll mix some of their master nodes every once in a while. It's a privacy thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's more privacy. I would call it more just like privacy than laundering. It's more like I don't want people to be tracking me rather than I want to explicitly lie about what the money's for, which is a little bit of a different thing. It's like not disclosing and then fabricating lies about it or slightly different all right let's hit the um the odyssey chat here real quick um obviously one time i don't know if i mentioned it, he said the crypto equals the school of hard knocks uh great wolf mentioned don't know about everyone else but i don't want blackrock touching and tainting the crypto space they already own everything else yes i agree i don't want the government doing this stuff either yet here they are owning crypto because they seize stuff or whatever else or i don't like at some point, you have to let everyone in. If it's every, if it's a global permissionless financial network, everyone has to be able to use it. And if they can, they will. Okay, it just it is what it is. The where that becomes a problem is when you have it where you become afraid of the influence of them owning that. Like if it's if it's already really well distributed and the people, the the real people have enough of a token supply or they have enough access to this financial system however it ends up working out 
However that works out, if you're if you're already there, you don't care that the government kind of scoots in a little bit or BlackRock buys some of it and pumps people's bags a little bit or like you don't really care if they're part of it. You just care that they're running it and that they're too big of a part of it. And so that's not something you can do by trying to hope that people get excluded. That's something you got to do by getting people involved over and over and over. Um, so, and finally, I got to wrap it up after this, but um, one time asked a question, which is a very, very, I won't say very, very, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but it's a longer kind of an answer than I'll be able to give right here. But um, how, how, where does an NFT have utility, have useful utility, which, you know, utility, that an ordinary centralized database doesn't work better for? Um, so there's a lot of things. So first off, uh, if you care about, um, if you care about a record, a digital record, so it's literally just a digital record. It's like an immutable digital record is what crypto and NFTs are, right? Although crypto is a fungible, NFTs are non-fungible. Um, the reason why you'd want that in terms of finance for crypto is it's really important. Your value, your store of value, your transmission of value, your, your money, your everything is really important that no one can control, stop, or edit that. And so as far as a other forms of records, it's kind of the same thing. I think that where we're going to see the most absolute kind of thing is where we start seeing what are now government records being transmitted into a decentralized ledger to where now um, if you want to sell a property, you want to transfer title to someone, um, you can like write on a piece of paper, or whatever, do some legal thing, and then the government does that. But then in some case, the government might try to seize your assets or say you don't own this or illegally transfer to whatever. And if you want control over that, that's where it becomes super valuable. Um, but even I, the the point that is valid, you know, not 100%, but still it's worth mentioning is if you sell little commemorative NFTs at Starbucks that gets you like a free latte every month that you can do this, you could do that with a centralized database. You can do it with a decentralized database. And the value proposition for a decentralized database is not as dramatically different as it would be for, for example, money or a property registry. So that's something that's that's a little bit closer. It's, it's not quite as much of a radical thing. And so, for example, um, if you sell a subscription, right, like a super, whatever, like a Patreon membership, or you sell a membership, and you sell an immutable token. So first off, if you have to, as a, let's just say content creator, I'm just gonna speak from my own personal experience, right? If I was gonna sell a membership, um, I would I would have to interact with a third party to do that. So let's just take the example of YouTube, right? Because YouTube has like premium memberships and super chats and all this kind of stuff built in. It's not just the video. But so let's just, it's me, there's YouTube, and then there's the end user, the subscriber. 
I have to contract with YouTube to provide these services for me. And they take like a giant cut of like super chats and things like that and memberships. And so first off, cutting out the middleman turn or I would say turning the middleman into a decentralized network is a big cost savings thing. Usually the other thing is, uh, what if I want to sell a membership to a banned YouTube member? You just can't. But if I decide who I want to sell an NFT to, that's completely different. The other thing is what happens if I get canceled off of YouTube at some point, I can still keep on creating content on all my channels, but then my entire subscriber base, I was leveraging a centralized network to keep track of that. And instead, if it's like, well, everyone who bought a uh, subscription on YouTube, I don't have to be, oh, sorry guys, I got canceled off YouTube. Go watch me on Odyssey now. Um, were you a super member? Were you a subscriber? I don't know. Um, like you don't have to try like tr take people's word for it, figure it out. And you don't have to like, there's no like refunds or whatever. Like they already bought a subscription. I don't know if YouTube takes that back. I don't know if I would lose the revenue from that. It's like, whatever. So all that stuff goes away. Whereas if I just stole them an NFT instead, they have the NFT. I cancel it off of whatever. I can just say, oh, come here. And then you still have your NFTs, right? And you just you're on board now you can just keep on using the stuff and the other thing is i can't like control who has it or doesn't have it and that's kind of i don't want to manage members really i just want to say if you have the nft you can you can watch and you can do super chats and stuff right you're in and then if you're done now i'm like hey i'm not a subscriber anymore i'm gonna cancel my thing or like i haven't seen that guy in a while I'll just like you know say like agnew gets tired of me and he's like you know what I enjoyed, you know, shit posting in his chat for, you know, a few years or like six months, let's just say, you know, but like, I'm kind of done. I'm kind of going to want to sell my membership and rather than it's just clunky to sell a membership on a centralized platform, especially if it's tied to your identity and things like that, or your pseudonymity. Right. But then if you have the actual NFT, you just sell it. All right, there you go. You take it instead. And so then the same pool of memberships can be constantly sold all over the place and stuff. And so that's just some of the cool stuff. Um, there's an endless list of these kinds of things. And I really, I'm really excited to get deeper into this whole thing. And the thing is NFTs are today, probably where Bitcoin was like 2012 or something, 2013 to where it's like really rough early days, but there's some stuff you could do with it still. It's not like crypto is today where you can integration, all these payment processors and protocols and things like that. It's not like that kind of stuff, uh, but it's, it, you're starting to see some flashes of cool sh stuff you can do with it. And I've already experimented with some of the stuff. I've got that figured out. It's going to be awesome. So anyway, um, hopefully next live stream, I'll have it available. I'll actually be able to start selling the NFTs and then you can use them on the, the big one. Well, thanks everyone for watching. This is great. I, um, they were, uh, fixing the internet outside or so I got my, my internet apparently was like a faulty cable underground wire from, you know, into the house. That was a problem. And they fixed that by putting a temporary above ground cable to fix it. And so since then I've not had issues, you know, fingers crossed just when I was about to start the podcast right now, as my luck would have it. They came to under to install the underground version and then take off the above ground. There would have been disruptions. I had to tell them, don't disrupt this, please. I finally do a live show. What the hell? And so they said, all right, well, we'll, we'll have someone else come pick up the, the above ground cable later and like make the switch over. But anyway, 
yeah, it's working. So hopefully next time I would, um, hopefully next time I'll be able to have uh, some FTs information stuff on FTs to sell to you know do this kind of stuff. And I'm also giving them away, as I'm sure you saw in the last couple of rundowns. I'm giving a, a one that you can't buy to people who jump on the show, and so that's going to be all cool. Good way to get into my Discord server, which I made. But anyway, um, thanks for watching, guys. Um, I am planning a, a, a departure from my usual content for the middle of next week instead of like a long-form thing. I make a little bit more of like a short film style thing. And that's, as an editor, it's much more challenging to make even though it's much shorter. It just It's so easy to just come. I don't want to down, now. I shouldn't downplay it that much. It's relatively easy now that I've built up the knowledge and expertise or whatever to just show up and talk and just, it's recorded. There you go. Um, it's much harder to be like taking stock footage, splitting them together with transitions and music and overlay and all that kind of stuff. It's a lot harder to do that kind of stuff. So anyway, I'm going to do that and whole channel relaunch definitely by the end of the month. So that's going to be really fun. And then it's just off to the races, as they say. All right. Um, thanks, everyone, for watching. This was a good time. Um, it's a little hot in here because the I keep the door closed so the you know noise stays out, but the air conditioner isn't getting any. So if I'm a little shiny, 